listening to Film Wax Radio. Hello everybody, this is Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio, and you're listening to episode 513 of the podcast. We had a couple of weeks where um, the podcast uh, was not down necessarily. Well, I, I guess it was. For many years, the podcast had been built on a feed, essentially, from the Rooftop Films website, and I, they were having difficulty with their website. So it caused some delays in some segments, episodes being posted. Anyway, they've resolved their problems, fortunately. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, what I've done is I just simply moved the feed over. Not simply, took a number of steps, but we the feed is now coming from uh, filmwaxradio.com. So that is, uh, uh, should have been done a while ago. Anyway, but it's one of those technical things that doesn't really, it's all behind the curtain, so to speak. It's all behind the scenes. It's not something anybody should notice any real difference in terms of just their podcasting experience. If you do, and the reason I'm bringing it up, though, if you're listening and you've noticed some sort of change um, at all, I don't know what that would look like or sound like, but uh, if there is any difference in, in how you're receiving the podcast as of now, just just uh, drop me a note if you would. Go to filmwaxradio.com. And uh, there is a link to uh, email the show. And also, of course, you can use Twitter or Facebook as well. And I will receive those messages. I appreciate it. You can, by the way, use those very same tools to just reach out for any reason. Uh, just just so you know, whether you're a filmmaker or, or just someone who listens to the podcast. Uh, anyhow, so my apologies if there was a uh, delay for a week or so. It happened over the course of my conversation with uh, Peter Bogdanovich, which is unfortunate, but we put the show up on um, YouTube, our YouTube channel so people could still listen, and it's currently uh, on the podcast as normal on iTunes, Stitcher, soon to be Spotify. So the New York Film Festival is winding down, and I did make it over for a bunch of different things. And actually, I have one more film I'm seeing tomorrow. And that is uh, the new Julian Schnabel film, At Eternity's Gate, which is his film about Vincent Van Gogh. It's supposed to be excellent. And I was thinking back to years ago when I saw his first, I think it was his first film. It could be his, maybe it was his second film. It was uh, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Boy, if you, if you ever get a chance, if you haven't seen that movie, I really highly recommend it. The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Anyway, this is supposed to be really great, and Willem Dafoe is supposed to be great, and I'm looking forward to seeing that tomorrow. But in the meantime, yesterday, I saw the um, public screening of The Other Side of the Wind, which is the long-last finished Orson Welles movie starring John Huston and uh, Peter Bogdanovich, again, was one of the, the main uh, people in the film. Well, I was really excited, I have to say, I, I, to see it, this film after all this time. And, you know, I was talking about this film as far back as, as several years ago when we had on Josh Karp, the author of this um, Orson Welles' last movie, uh, which uh, is about the history 
and this you know the story behind the other side of the wind which is a great read uh, I recommend going back to episode 301 and listening to that episode because um, my conversation with Josh Carp is great and then Josh did a quick segment with me sometime later on episode 397 when Netflix announced that they were indeed financing the completion of the other side of the wind the finishing the editing and all the post and 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 more importantly the uh, legal and financial morass that this film was under. So what was the movie like? Well, it turns out it was pretty spectacular, but it's almost unintelligible. And I think it's, for the most part, meant to be chaotic. It looks tremendous, but it, it's, um, it's chaotic. And you need to go in with a completely open mind and not look for linearity necessarily in the sense of the type of dramatic linearity, the traumatic pace that you might be used to. It is an essentially an, an experimental film, and it's just amazing. I don't know how this is going to work, frankly, on one's small screens. It just needs to be on a big screen. Uh, and so on November 2nd, when this movie premieres theatrically in some cities, I'm going to have to tell you if you're a fan of Orson Welles or if this is just one of those curiosities that you've been wanting to see, go go to the movie theater. Don't see it on Netflix. For everybody else, go check it out on Netflix, I guess. But I don't think you're going to get the experience, the full experience uh, with this particular movie. I mean, um, you know, I, I'm watching another movie that's uh, at the New York Film Festival, is, uh, which already premiered, of course, is Tamara Jenkins is film private life with Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti and um you know it's a terrific film and uh, I'm sure I would have appreciated it more watching it on a big screen in the at the Walter Reed or Alice Tully Hall but as it turns out seeing it on Netflix was fine um so anyway that that's my experience so I can I can say that which movie really really benefits and, you know, for all intents and purposes, it requires the larger screen. The Other Side of the Wind, November 2nd on Netflix and in theaters. Getting to now this episode, 513. My first guest is uh, one of three co-directors of a new documentary called Rodents of Unusual Size. And um, we have been planning this for a number of months, in fact. I'm going to tell you where you're going to be able to see it, but it will also be part of Independent Lens in the winter. We're going to talk to one of the three filmmakers behind Rodents of Unusual Size. His name is Jeff Springer. And then we're going to be talking to a returning guest, Megan Griffiths, the filmmaker who several years back made, well, she's made a bunch of films, uh, most notably Lucky Them, which is uh, when I brought her on to my podcast but i've known megan for years we go back uh to i don't know almost it's got to be eight or nine years because uh, i was asked to do a a, a q a with her years ago and in fact i'm pretty sure it was on our last the last time she was on the show which was episode 214 if I, i can't it's hard to believe it's that far back uh but she was on episode 214 and i'm sure on that show we talked about how we met She is back, and she's here to talk about her newest film, and it's called Sadie. I saw it last, I don't know, March, when um, at South by Southwest. 
And um, finally, it's going to have its theatrical here in New York City and in L.A. Uh, tomorrow, Friday, the uh, 12th of October. So uh, let's get to, uh, well, first we're going to talk to Jeff Springer, again, one of three directors of Rodents of Unusual Size, along with uh, Quinn Costello and Chris Metzler. Hard-headed Louisiana fisherman Thomas Gonzalez doesn't know what will hit him next. After decades of hurricanes and oil spills, he faces a new threat, hordes of monstrous 20-pound swamp rats known as nutria, these invasive South American rodents breed faster than the roving squads of hunters who can control them. And with their orange teeth and voracious appetite, they're eating up the coastal wetlands that, proje- that protects Thomas and his town of Delacroix Island from hurricanes. But the people who have lived here for generations are not the type of folks who will give up without a fight. Thomas and a pack of lively bounty hunters are hellbent on saving Louisiana before it dissolves beneath their feet. It is man versus rodent, and may the best mammal win. Narrated by Wendell Pierce, who is a former guest on this show, Rodents of Unusual Size. It will be screening at Cinema 505, the home of the Montclair Film Festival, this weekend, Friday, October 12th, and Saturday, October 13th at 7.30. That's at 505 Bloomfield Avenue in Montclair. Jeff will be on hand for Q&As. It will be playing at the Bend Film Festival on Friday, October 12th at the Cascades Theater. And again on Saturday, October 13th at the McMinimins Theater, I think it's called, where Quinn will uh, be available for a Q&A. That's in Bend, Oregon. And then Indigo Moon Film Festival also on Saturday, October 13th in, uh, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And on and on, I recommend you go to rodentsofunusualsize.tv for details. Again, we'll be alerting you in the next couple of months again about this film when it goes on to independent lens and coming up in a couple of weeks we're going to have i'm going to be posting a conversation with the executive director of independent lens lois vassen who also will speak about this special documentary uh let's go into my conversation with jeff springer uh only on film wax radio we're heading on the end of the line there ain't many people from here left The neutral took over. So we gotta keep fighting them. So I've done everything there is for survival. I'm born to die, so I'm gonna get all the gusto out of this little body that I got. Big old rat. I love it when I nail them. is a real threat to the whole country. You ever heard of Nutrahara? Hey, nice to meet you. Nice so, to meet you. Should I roll the windows up or is it okay, you think? Uh, I'm just worried about like the bus thing. Right. Yeah, let's roll it up. Or let's try... Um, and then if it gets insufferable, we'll uh, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll roll down the windows again. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I wonder if this is probably too noisy. The fan or something? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty low actually. Is there is there is there a fan on? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's really quiet for a car. 
know. But we're, we seem to be like in the middle of the most industrial area. Yeah. Which is odd. Uh, <laughs> didn't really think about all that. Anyway, it doesn't okay. matter. But we can all hop right. into this. We'll uh, the name of the film is called Rodents of Unusual Size, <laughs> which is uh, directed by three three of you guys, right? Yeah. There's you, yeah. Jeff Springer, Quinn Costello. Quinn Costello, and finally Chris Metzler. Chris Metzler, yeah. all of which I, I guess was my original introduction. I think he may have introduced me to the documentary. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, he does a lot of promotion stuff for he's the film. He's good with that? Yeah, so that's his specialty. So why isn't he here in the, in the <laughs> Cause uh, he's not uh, in New York, I guess. He's not here in the film. No, he, he does a lot of, uh, yeah, the organizing and um, and promotion of the film. And, oh, good. And so, and then, like, <laughs> I you know shot the film and, and Quinn edited, so we all have oh. kind of different things. But you just sort of identify yourself as co-directors? Yeah, yeah. Even so though you have... You... Final decisions, like, yeah, we'd all, like, between the three of us, basically. Oh, okay. So, and it's good, but do you have three people being because then, um, you know, you can always outvote. <laughs> it's not like two people. Oh, so. that's true. Where you yeah. hit, hit, like, yeah, you got to always have uh, two against one or... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that it actually, sense. people always ask, like, is it is it too many people? But it actually works out okay. Anyway, let's let's just set it up a little. Uh, the, again, it's called Rodents of Unusual Size. Did I catch up with it at Maryland? Is that possible? Were you... Did you screen um, in Maryland? Where I did you screen? I think... Did we? I can't... Doesn't matter. Yeah. I was at a festival. I thought I saw it there. But regardless, these are swamp rats, right? A.K.A. Nutria? Yeah. They're 20-pound rodents from Argentina, basically, that were brought um, Mm -hmm. here to to do fur farms in the 30s and 40s. And then as a result um, of being there, then they got loose eventually, and they uh, got into the bayou, and then they started eating everything up. They got up to uh, Louisiana. Yeah. Right? And because uh, uh, we should mention that uh, Wendell Pierce is your narrator. Did he also have any other title? In the... No, I he's mean, just a, yeah, he's a narrator, but um, it was really great to work with him because we had written a script, but when he came in to record, he was able to um, really give it some Louisiana flavor, let's say. He's from, he's it's not from just there. a straight voiceover, but, you know, a bit of an accent, but also he's like, let's put a y'all here, or, you know. Yeah, um, give and, it a little bit more Cajun flavor. Yeah, and, and you know, he's from New Orleans, and he, he is, grew up yeah. around um, around Nutria, so he knows <laughs> a lot about Nutria, so he was kind of like the perfect voice for us. Yeah, and bonus, did my podcast. Oh, well, that's... See? Yeah. So not too long ago either. I just met him. He was uh, cool. he was kind of the lead. He had, it was almost a, he had almost a romantic lead in this. I think that was one of the main reasons he took it because it was kind of a different part than the normal cop that he plays. Yeah, <laughs> very yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's you know. good. Yeah. Anyhow, so there is a uh, bit of an infestation. Yeah. The problem is twofold, right? There's too many of these rodents and and they're huge but they're 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 not vicious right they're not uh, no no not really not. if they get cornered they they might bite you but no, they it, it was and it, who wouldn't um yeah exactly and and but even when i was like would corner them at the zoo exhibit where it was able to get into the zoo exhibit with them they they would just flee and it actually was a big challenge in, in doing the film some people do keep them as pets right so yeah they have uh, the ability for to be affectionate 
Yeah, and the, and um, so there's a pet that's in the film, but the, it, it's called Little Bit, and she won't get close to anyone except for her basically own. her owner and and Peter, his his girlfriend and girlfriend's son. But actually, to make the film to get close-ups of Nutria, we had a train Nutria, and so she it, her name's Nudie the Nutria, and uh-huh. has a Facebook page and everything, and she's an animal performer that we were able to use to get some more close-up shots of Nutrias, and oh. she's actually you can hold her in your hands and and pet her and everything. So. But she's a very different nutria than typically what you encounter. So there is... I mean, it's a lot better than it used to be because of the bounty program that's in the film. And so they get paid $5 a tail to bring them in. So that's kept them under control. So so people come and they, they, they... uh, they make they buckshot essentially these the, the they come in and this is a way for because it's in a poor community, I mean it's a re- the island of Delacroix where where the film mostly takes place right yeah it's a uh, it's relative I mean there's a poor population there I mean I don't know, maybe there's a rich population but there are a lot of people are are making extra money making ends meet by going and uh, shooting the. Uh, the uh, the nutria right yeah I mean and a lot of it is they have things for employment uh, on other times of the year like crabs or alligators and things uh-huh. and then oh, come winter season. time there's really nothing going on oh right so a nutria season kind of fills that in in a way yeah. and gives them a, you know a source of income for that winter those winter months and you said there's how much a tail five dollars a five dollars a tail so literally they kill them they cut off the tail and they bring the tails in as proof that they've um, Killed the the the, uh, the, the nutria. Yeah, the yeah, brand. and they usually put it, people put it in their freezer because they don't go right into the tail collection site, and um, so people come in with these big blocks of tails that are frozen together, and um, we actually would hang out at these tail collection sites, and it was like the best place to meet nutria hunters. Sure, because you can just hang out in the parking lot, and they they tow this trailer around, and they they um, you know there are certain places on certain days, and people come in and turn in their tails. Mm-hmm. Um. And so the the other issue that I met, I was mentioning there were two was that that the swamp land itself was eroding. Uh, this was a natural habitat and a natural uh, you know preserved area, very unique, right? Very um, indigenous to the area, the environment, and very important for the environment. And it was being eroded by the infestation of these swamp rats. So the eco balance needed to be created and which it seems like i guess they are they have successfully yeah i mean it's not completely successful but they they're keeping them under control like there was 25 million at one point and now we're like at a few million and so that for them that's a huge success you know they eat these the roots of the plants that hold the land together so the more that they eat the more the land just falls apart yeah it's 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 so because it's kind of floating yeah, there's and it's like without plants to hold the land together, it just it just falls into the Gulf, you know. Right. Oh so, my gosh. Um, yeah, they and they breed like crazy. They have babies all the time, and and so a couple litters a year, and and so they just, yeah. You, and if you have just one, you might get rid of all of them, but if you just have one, then there's going to be <laughs> ten gonna, yeah. next week. Yeah. Do they have to eradicate the whole race in order to really get? I mean, as far as the safety and preservation of the swamplands. Don't they just need to kind of eradicate? They're not meant to be there. They're meant to be in Argentina. Yeah, they're they're not meant to be there. But they also um, what, how, do they help the land at all? 
No, they don't help the land at all. I mean, they they were a, a source of fur for a while, and that was an economic yeah. stimulus. But that was, but and then the eighties came, and and fur fell out, out of fashion, and then they got out of control. But um, but yeah, there's really no hope of ever getting rid of them. Um, the nutrient control program is basically. Um, they they see that it's never going to be you know to totally eradicate them, but with all the nooks and crannies in Louisiana, have local scientists or environmentalists figured out the threshold for at least keeping the swamplands safe? Like in other words, they can figure out how many they have to keep the population of the swamp rats or nutrient down to a certain so, uh, population in order for the swamplands to be able to recover, you know, and exist. I mean. Yeah, there's um there's a lot of um it they they lose like about a football field an hour in Louisiana of land loss. And there's um and once that land is gone it's really difficult to bring it back, but there is a human intervention and in and that they'll they'll create areas with um like plastic barriers and they build land back and they plant plants there. Okay. To, to they are doing it. that. But with the nutrient if there's too many nutrient around they'll just eat it up. So they kind of the, they 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 they're trying to keep the nutrient as low as they can, mm-hmm. but um but if they didn't, then there would be no hope of, of rebuilding some of this land. And how many people are we talking about that are out there um, during the season hunting? Do we um, know? I don't do know offhand, no. I can't. Uh, I mean, are you talking about like thousands of people or are you talking about just a few hundred or something? It's you probably know, a a f- like a few hundred, yeah. I'm hanging and, out at the uh, like at that station that you described. Maybe. And they need to be, um, they have like a license from the state, so they're actually registered with the Nutria Control Program. So it's not just anyone can go out and get Nutria. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's fairly easy to get that, but um, it's, it's people that are... Um, in the registry, and then when they do turn in tails, they give information on you know how many and and mm-hmm. where they found them and what you know what the what the land that, that they found them on, so they can do a lot of um, you know it's for research. People that hunt these, their only incentive is to turn in the tail. They get a five dollars. They're going to have extra money for bringing in the actual animal. So what are they doing with the carcasses? Most of the people just throw it in the swamp, and so that's a huge that- waste. And yeah, but that's okay for the environment. It's right? it's 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 probably not is great, it? but it's also like haven't heard of it being too much of a of a problem. Um, and but this is why there's a lot of people that want to do something with the the carcasses. And and it, so in the film we have a, a collective of designers that um, it wants to use the fur. And their idea is if they can bring back fur, um, that that will help you know eradicate the rodents. So it's like by you know. Um, creating clothes and things with with new yeah. for, um and then other people want to eat them as well. So that's um, you know if they can use them for something. And when, and there's a, a, a dog food company that also uses Nutria. So people are trying to create this demand and um, and actually don't let the Nutrias go to waste. It doesn't. You know, I mean, the whole idea of fur was that animals were being killed for the manufacturing of fur coats and other fur lined items, and that. Um, that was, uh, you know, for the animal activists, animal rights activists, that that was a, uh, a kind of a criminal thing. And now what we're having is kind of a, a an eco issue. There's environmental justification for making fur uh, clothes and other fur items, it seems to me. Yeah. There's a great justification for it. Uh, so I wonder how the animal activists respond to that. You know, I'm wondering, I don't know if you've had any conversations or maybe during screenings or after screenings, if you've ever run into any of those folks and what their feelings are about that. Because I see this as a great opportunity. This is a great 
uh, if their fur is great and it can um, help whatever economy and also at the same time help the you know ecosystem down there in Delacroix and in Louisiana, that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, we actually were expecting a lot more pushback from um and we tried to strike a good balance of of um mm-hmm. respecting the animal rights activists and and you know I, I i get what their concerns but um people like PETA and stuff have um they don't say much about this nutrient control problem i mean they don't it doesn't do them any good that's why yeah i mean it, i'm i'm a pro animal activist yeah. acti- activism don't get me wrong but i also know that there's a you know a, there's a always a marginal group or you know what i'm saying there's always a fringe group that are just don't think things th- really through you know same yeah. same with hunting like it's, there are justifications for to, for hunting and it, you know especially if you're going to reuse those the if you're going to use the animals for their fur for the meat you know because some of the also we should mention the hunters eat eat these animals right after they kill them they don't all get thrown back in the swamp yeah yeah there's some people that do eat them is that um, a desperation issue or do they actually really they they bring them to restaurants too it, or, or well to cooks, it's no? it's it's difficult to bring it to restaurants because of of fda health, health um, requirements so um but there are a few people that eat them but it's pretty rare honestly okay. like because i think in louisiana you have so many good things to eat you have crabs <laughs> and and alligator and all these other things, oh, so, so that a nutri is kind of a hard sell. I mean, pe- some people do eat them, yeah. but it's it's pretty minimal. Right. Yeah. It doesn't. I'm not uh, even thinking that that's going to be a, a, a particularly uh, delicious meal. <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> no, it's pretty good. I've had it a few times. Oh, you it's, did. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's, it's not bad. Eat snakes too, right? Yeah. Yeah, so not... yeah. I mean, I've always always surprised because people down there would be so disgusted about um, the nutri because it has a, a like a rat like tail. And yet right. they would eat a. Like and they're a called raccoon. swamp rats, but that's just a, <laughs> that's just a nickname. They're not. Yeah. They're not, are they're not really. They're not actually a rat. So that's no. kind of more like a slang. They're a rodent. So they're not vermin, even though they're rodents. Yeah. Like they we are, think of rats as vermin, regardless of where they are. Yeah, and, and you know a beaver's a rodent too. So it's a it's a big family of animals. Okay. So, is um, it is a vermin? Do you know uh, the specifically like the definition? Maybe vermin are disease carriers, and that's I'm why they're called. I'm not sure. That's a good question. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, something to look into. Yeah. If you're out there what and you're listening, vermin? write in. <laughs> Jeff Springer at AOL.com. Uh, the name again of the movie is called Rodents of Unusual Size, directed by Jeff Springer, Chris Metzler, and Quinn Costello. Yeah. See how good I am. And and tell me, uh, it premiered where? It premiered at Doc NYC last oh, year. Okay, and then, that, um, maybe that's where I saw it. And then we've been um, doing um, festivals and since a lot of festivals. And so, and then we'll be um, on on Independent Lens uh, yeah. next next year, that's early awesome. next year. Yeah, I think you're you're right. Yeah, it's funny because um, I had Lois Vossen, who is the executive director of, of Independent Lens. I met with her yesterday, coincidentally. I know you. We had been emailing back and forth about timing of this thing, and uh, we just figured out we were probably going to try to meet yesterday, but it ended up meeting today. And in the midst of that, I met with Lois, and uh, the subject of rats came up, <laughs> as they yeah, will. Yeah, it always usually comes up in New York City because <laughs> I think you know we were talking about bed bugs, <laughs> and then that led us to talking about rats. And then she goes, "It's funny you mention we're talking about rats because." One of our films in our blah 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 blah, blah and it turned out to be yours. And I said, "Yes, that's funny because I'm about to podcast with these guys," and uh, she said, "I'm I may run into them today," which, <laughs> which she did. So yeah, a nice convergence going yeah, on there. Yeah. So, yeah, the next few days will be through Connecticut, and then the next week in Brooklyn at the Alamo Draft House. Oh, and okay. Then 
uh, Long Island, and then we'll be playing at the Stranger Than Fiction with Tom Powers and and the IFC Center. That's a nice and yeah. the weekend week after that. So that's great. And then you'll be on ind- Independent Lens, as you mentioned. And, and, and uh, is it going to be the- out theatrically uh, in any other cities? Um, we are in the middle of that. We're in Chicago okay. right now. Okay. And then um, we just we're just finishing up Portland and Seattle. We premiered oh. there this last Friday, so mm-hmm. I was just got back from Seattle, and so they, those are both week long runs. So they're currently running there, and then um, we finished up runs in San Francisco and L.A. Um, and New Orleans. So those are already complete. But um, but yeah, up, coming up is still Chicago and Seattle, and and then around the the, the New York area. Mm-hmm. Um, that's wonderful. It's an it's it's a fascinating movie. It's also entertaining, and you know it's it's. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a fascinating story you guys really managed to tell, you know, oh, of something nice. you may not necessarily think would be, or maybe people would be squeamish. But these animals, other than their teeth and those rat tails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've always been, uh, a lot of people have come to us like, oh, we don't want to watch that movie because it's about giant rats. And then yeah. people see the movie and then they're oh, generally, and they're, you know, it's a, really about the people a lot yeah, of it. So. Right. That's right. There is a number of people that you follow that are, are out there hunting for the rats and you kind of follow their story a little bit at least as far as the 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 hunt and the post hunt goes yeah you know what they do with the animal uh, or you know what the relationship with the animal is um so yeah people should realize that like you said did you say beavers were rodents yeah nobody's ever squeamish around beavers everybody loves a beaver so (laughs) as i always say well thank you very much yeah thanks for having anytime uh, again, we'll we'll keep everybody apprised of the trajectory of the film, which right now includes the theatrical, which is going on, and then in the early winter, uh, or early in the new year, I should say, 2019, it will be having a broadcast premiere, which is huge for any documentary, right? How many documentaries every year get a broadcast? Yeah, and also just That's a on question. a show like Answer Independent. The question. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> but, not very many. Not very but, many. But yeah, it's also great to be on a show like Independent Lens because I know this season is, is going to be great. Yeah. There's a lot of oh, good stuff coming up. Oh, it looks like an up. amazing season. And also just think of the sheer number of people who will be able to see the film. And it streams on their site for two weeks or something like that. Yeah, yeah, they stream when it for they two weeks after. When they premiere it, it's fantastic. Good luck with everything with that. Say hi to Chris and Quinn and, uh, you know. And, yeah. Uh, We'll stay in touch. Yeah, thanks very much. The devoted daughter of a soldier, 13-year-old Sadie is disappointed to learn her father is once again redeploying rather than returning home. When she sees that her mom is developing feelings for a new man, Sadie channels her disappointment into a fierce new mission, preserve her father's place on the home front, whatever it takes. She has her enemy in her sights, and if there's one thing she's learned from the world around her, it's that the enemy deserves no mercy. This is um, a great film. Uh, I was very lucky enough to see it. It stars the great Melanie Linsky, who has been on the show, and John Gallagher Jr., and uh, Tony Hale in an exceptional dramatic role. People know him from uh, The Veep and Arrested Development, but this is a, a different kind of role for Tony. Anyway... It will be having theatricals in Los Angeles at the Arena Cine Lounge, screening-wise, uh, on tomorrow, Friday, October 12th for the 625. The producer, Lacey Levitt, will be available for the Q&A on the 13th, which is, I guess, Saturday night. 
for the ten, seven ten screening, Megan will be available along with producer uh, Lacey Levitt, as well as the DP and uh, Keith Williams, who's in the film, moderated by Kat Candler. Here in New York, meantime, the film opens as well on Friday, October 12th, and Megan will be available along with John Gallagher for the 510 screening. Uh, at the 710 screening, it'll be uh, Megan, John Gallagher, um, and moderated by Nick Dawson, editor-in-chief of Talkhouse Film and TV. Check out sadiefilm.com for details about where and how you can see Sadie. Uh, here it is, my conversation with Megan Griffiths on Film Wax Radio. Hey, Dad. Cut your letter. I wrote a paper for class where I tried to imagine my life as a soldier with you. Mr. Lee will probably hate it. Teachers can't handle violent stuff, even though it's literally everywhere. Let him go! Miss you, Sadie. I saw the letter from your dad. I thought he'd be coming home this time, too. She's not home yet. Oh, yeah, no, she's held up at the hospital. I told her I'd wait for her. Was that from your dad? How's he doing, anyways? I guess he's doing okay, considering you're over here trying to sleep with his wife while he's defending our country. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. Hey. I can't hear again that he's going to stay over there. It's driving me crazy. I don't think you owe that man another day. You know this is your neighbor, right? Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? So thank you. This is great. I'm so glad we're able to uh, make up for that little uh, kerfuffle. Anyway, so I had Joshua Leonard on yesterday. He's getting a new movie. Wait, what's Josh's new movie? He's in a movie made by this guy, Steven Soderbergh. Have you ever heard of him? Oh, yeah, it rings a bell. <laughs> yeah, he's good. He's it's it's a, like a horror. It's like a horror. It's not quite a return to Blair Witch, but it's a uh, it's a very good film. That's not great. surprisingly, yeah. So I've I've been wanting to get him on forever, uh, just because of uh, we had so many uh, run-ins in the past. I also got to see Sadie at at South by. Was at your premiere? No, no, I wasn't at your premiere. I was at your second screening. Excuse me. The second screening. Yeah. We had two. We had night, lovely two weekend screenings when we were there. So, uh, but they both felt like a premiere because all the cast and crew were there. Oh, right, because they were bunched together, right? They were like right up against yeah, you within twenty hours apart, and so everybody was still around when we did our second screening, which was great. Do they do that on purpose uh, when they can? Do you think, or is just like the way it, the 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 sort of way it happened just? Uh, I think it's just the way it happened. I've never yeah. had that happen, which I was really excited about it. Um, yeah. Just because usually, even just like going as an audience member, I'm used to just, you know, getting the full Q&A at the premiere. And if you miss the premiere, you get, you know, usually maybe one or two people and or in the like, if you catch it later in the week screening, mm-hmm. usually you don't get anybody. So I just, I always like having, you know, as many people as possible to represent the movie, especially oh, yeah. when it's premiering. So in like, you know, South by premiere, so. Right. But you had a good time. You had a good experience. Yeah, we had a great time. Um, the, the, you know, we had really fun uh, Q&As with everybody. And then the press part was great. I love this cast is like so full of just wonderful people. Like everybody who is in the movie is someone I admire as an actor, but also just like great people to hang out with. And I hadn't sure. 
we gotten to hang out with them outside of like this very rainy January in Seattle where we had a lot of work to do. And so it was nice to just be around them and like, you know, go do all this press and get our pictures taken together and just like hang out a little bit. Um, right. Cause, Cause you Melanie kinda... Linsky and Tony Hale and John Gallagher Jr. And, uh, they're all great people. And Danielle Brooks is too, but she couldn't unfortunately be at the premiere. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did you mention maybe that Melanie wasn't there at all though, right? Melanie was there, yeah. Oh, she was there for the opening night. She was there for both the first two screenings. Wait a minute, so... (laughs) She was there. Oh, you know what it was? Oh, that's why, because I didn't stay for the Q&A, which I normally would have done. That's right. I didn't stay for the Q&A. So I must have just not... I must have not... Sorry. I must have not have seen her, you know, when I was, like, kind of going past. But I had to, you know, lose my laptop, so I couldn't stay for the... Normally, you know, I would have been there for the Q&A. Well, I don't know. You might have missed her at the second Q&A anyway, because she was trying to be under the radar because she had had a late night with Tony Hale the night before. (laughs) Finally, the two hooked up. No, no. Breaking news. (laughs) (laughs) Tony Hale in a rare dramatic, like, you know, he's so known for the Veep. Yeah. Veep, rather, not the Veep. The Veep. (laughs) Veep and Arrested Development, yeah. The Arrested Development. Yeah, I loved him on that. That was my introduction to Tony Hale, like a lot of people, of course. Yeah. Uh, where he Everybody was... knows him in these characters. And I, I thought, yeah, that I'd seen him also in um, Brave New Jersey, which is made directed by Jody Lambert. I don't know if you ever saw that, but it was uh, right. out, let's see, last year. Um, and Tony Hale's the lead, and it's a dramatic role. So it was oh. nice to see him do that. And, um, and so I was very confident that he would be able to handle this role for sure. Yeah. He brought a certain... Um... Like his role was also like always a bit off, off uh, kiltered. He was kept off kilter because he just couldn't read the situations quite well, and he was caught in this. Let uh, for people who are listening, Sadie is about a mother and a daughter, I guess you could say, and 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 a missing male figure who kind of they're both have these. I wouldn't say desperate, but they both feel there's a certain uh, some desperation around it, but not in a in a negative and in a very natural, normal way to have a male figure in their lives, you know, and so they try to figure out how to make that happen most dramatically in the in in the case of uh, of the daughter who's played by Sophia Mitrislas. Thank you. It just rolls off the tongue, Sophia Mitrislas. I'm cheating a little bit, as you can see. She plays the titular role of Sadie, and she's a terrific find. I saw her at your Q&A before I slipped out. Yes. Uh, and yeah, she was there all yeah, week. Yeah. This was adapted from a novel, is that right? Oh, I'd love to think that there's a novel you, you called Sadie out there somewhere, but it? no, it's an original. You yeah, wrote it? Original Where'd it come from then? Because I was just thinking this is just kind of different to, well, yeah, well, maybe not. <laughs> so now I'm thinking about your last couple of films. Maybe this isn't so unusual. Maybe no, they, you have this dark streak it's now. It's actually pretty pretty close to my my natural wheelhouse. I wrote it um, when I was trying to get my film The Off Hours made, and I think of them as very closely related huh. films. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, this, it's, it just came from my weird brain and uh, the just wanting to make something about youth and violence and add to that kind of cultural conversation around what what builds people like what 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 factors play into people becoming violent or solving problems through sort of violent means mm-hmm. right and 
We'll leave it as vague as that, so we don't yes. give away. I don't want to go too too specific. Right, right. And interesting, there's. I'm going through it again. Also, the violence is pretty. It's it's not the violence of desperation and the violence of pain and I'm you know because it's not your typical. There's not. It's not like a violent film in the typical sense at all. No. The violence is is uh, like an emotional, psychological kind of uh, level. I'd say. Yeah. I think that's a fair thing to say. And yeah, it's just thinking about all the violence that we absorb as people in this world right now, like, you know, the violence that we see all over the place on the news and um, on our Facebook feeds and like in movies and television and video games and um, the fact that we've been a country at war for so long. And so we're seeing our country solve problems through violence, like just thinking about what all those things sort of add up to for people who are coming of age right now. And how that affects their problem-solving skill. Yeah. Sadie is about, she looks like she's maybe 14, 15. Is she even a little older than that? Or? Yeah, she's 13 in okay. the film. Okay. Um, she's 15 now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, she's, she was, she, I, I think she had just turned 14, like a month before we started shooting, but okay. scripted as a 13-year-old. Yeah. Well, she plays 13 very believably. Thank you. I thought so, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly my child's age. I have a son. He's exactly he's turning fourteen in a matter of days, so I can relate. Do you and, and you know not to go too far off track here, but I mean you you've been reading about this. Speaking of violence, what's going on in Austin, which we which was definitely I mean, it's very likely. Obviously, this was this this violence these this uh, these incidents with these uh, explosives have been timed with South South by Southwest. Have you had a chance to uh, hear about that? Or I was hearing about it as I was leaving, and okay. yeah, it's awful. Um, it, it, I, I don't, I haven't read the full like. I don't, I don't know if there is full reporting about wh- where it's coming from. Yeah, and but it sounded like it was racially motivated and just until they put it like a tripwire. I don't know where, like they just put up a tripwire device yesterday, I think, and I don't know if it was. I don't know if like if it depends if it was on a block the African American neighborhood sure that that would certainly tie into what you're saying. I just, I don't know either. I have to check, but it's just yeah. really really upsetting. But certainly another example of someone in this culture trying to solve some problem that they they consider a problem right. with, uh, with violent means. Exactly. So uh, Sadie is this young. They live in a uh, trailer park. Mm-hmm. And with mom, played by Melanie Linsky, she just keeps it getting better and better. This Linsky actor of yours, I think she's so good in everything. There's nothing I've never seen her in a, in a performance I thought wasn't fantastic. So I, I I just loved editing editing this performance because she just gives you so much to work with. She's got there's a lot of layers there. Well, yeah, and you know, normally she's gotten it recently. I know. Recently, I would say she's been doing a lot of Duplass stuff, which always has a kind of a uh, a lightness to it, and not a lightness, but a uh, well, some comic sort of tone to it. Generally, that's generalization. Whereas this is, I would say, uh, straight drama, and so she was, you know, has I haven't seen her do something like that in quite a while. 
Yeah, that's funny. I guess that's why I've been hearing from people that, that you know, somebody in a review called her unrecognizable and, and then other people saying it's very different from what she typically does. And I guess I've just been watching her act for so long. Like yeah. I've seen her in so many roles over the last 25 years and I just, it doesn't feel out of the ordinary to me. Like it feels like a natural fit, but yeah, I, I think what you're pointing out is true that she's been doing more comedic stuff recently. Um, more dramedy, you know, more it, definitely dramatic stuff. I mean, even, you know, together and all, all these things she's been doing, the TV work, it's been, it's dramatic, but it's, it's not quite, as edgy or raw as as Sadie is, yeah, um, she goes. It's yeah, you know, we go pretty dark together on this one. Yeah, but only in the best possible way, listeners. It's true. I mean, I don't. I'm not turned off when I hear something Good. has a dark edge to it. So I'm hoping I'm not either. Who are also like that? I'm not either, <laughs> and you know, and most of my listeners are also probably in our same mind frame here. But there are, I hear people who like. To go to movies for pure escapism, you know. But you can well, do, you I don't know can... if this is a movie for them, not to not to cut carve out a whole section of audience. But no. I, it is, you know, intentionally <laughs> supposed to give you food for thought. Yeah. So if you well, you gr- I guess Sadie might not be your movie. Right. But if you were looking for enrichment, uh, emotional, artistic enrichment, this is your film. So we'll say that there As... also is a lot of lightness to it in the earlier acts of the film like there you know, we have some amazingly hilarious people who right. you can see you know you feel other characters timing neighbors in, yeah daniel There's, brooks and keith is, williams yeah who's the the dad the grandpa the the his the... name is t denard he's a seattle actor so okay. good yeah because they're they're living as we, as we said in a trailer park, and you know they have a community there. It's a little micro community. They lean on each other in many ways, and uh, sometimes they uh, betray each other. But uh, generally, generally, you know, again, if there's a subplot of a of a bit bit of a betrayal between friends, but I would say that 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 is out of a, a level again of desperation almost, uh, or or boredom or something, you know. Yeah, everyone's just trying to figure out how to make their lives better, and they try out things that aren't always the best choices. That's a good way of putting it, yeah, yeah. And John Gallagher, another one who goes between comedy and drama, and he, this is, you know, him in a, in a, I'd say, a, in a very meaty, meaty role. So you, when you wrote it, I mean, you, I know Off Hours was six, seven years ago, so... Eight. Eight years. Yeah. Wow. Eight, eight years ago. We, yeah. So obviously you didn't visualize Melanie or John in these roles. Well, Melanie was attached for years to this film, but we, we, we have been trying to get it made for a long time. So I think she probably came on board in 2015, maybe. Um, so she'd been attached for quite a while. But at the time that I wrote it, uh, I try not to get too specific about who I'm imagining when I write, because then if I don't get them to be in it, it's like this weird <laughs> yeah, right. frame that you yeah, have to do where exactly. you're just like, yeah. but okay, wait, but it's not going to be that person. So try to write with like, just, just thinking about the character, unless I know for a fact I can have somebody, you know, that somebody's going to come in and do it. Right. Um, but in that case, I was like, I hadn't even made, you know, off hours, which was the film that kind of, you know, allowed me to start directing, uh, and not doing all these other things that I was doing to, to make a living in film, like ADing and occasionally shooting and stuff. But, um, but yeah, so I didn't picture anybody specific when I was shooting it, where I was writing it, but I did, um, 
you know, as soon as I, you know, I always have loved Melanie Linsky, so she would have been on my list right away. Also off hours, not, I don't know if there's any connection you can put, put on it here, but it introduced us together so that, I don't know. That's Again, true. I'm not trying to suggest anything, but <laughs> some people might suggest that that, that launched everything that q and I, I think it was that fateful <laughs> screening yeah, that you, that's right moderate. yes who would have known it's it's kind of it's pretty like serendipitous you know i remember the uh christina who's now at alamo draft house brooklyn but she was programming uh that series at uh of indie films at the 92nd street y tribeca that brought us that and and sort of just asked if i could do a q a and i was like uh, okay and then uh all these years later we still friends and doing this thing it's great yeah no i appreciate the many years of support from you too no i appreciate it i'm glad i'm glad for it and it's effortless because you make such i think important uh films and it's fiercely independent (laughs) well speaking of that you have Tony Hale and on two incredibly successful series. John Gallagher has done a couple of really big series. Melanie Linsky, all these HBO types, and uh, mm-hmm. what have it. And you've already directed one Room One Hundred Four, a couple of episodes, right? I saw yeah. I saw them. I was very happy to see your name on that. Uh, I saw. I still remember the one with the what, were they Mormons or? Yeah, the missionaries. Yeah, very very good episode. <laughs> People I should. That one. I you, like them both so much, but yeah, they're they're yeah. They're, they're so different from each other. Like that, that oh, yeah. one's full of so much heart, and the other one is full of so much gore. <laughs> <laughs> that had to be fun for you. But I'm just going to tell people also if you if your parents have a subscription, <laughs> please to Here HBO, go, please go and watch Room 104 in the fir- I think the first season or second was it first season? Yeah, first season. You uh, directed a couple of very memorable episodes, seven, seven and eleven. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Noting that down. So it would seem to me that, you know, and maybe it's already in the works, I don't know, but maybe there's some, you would have uh, offered an opportunity to direct something on a bigger scale in terms of budget, I'm talking about, obviously. You're ready to go, or are you comfortable sort of in the in that indie sphere, or Wonder Woman <laughs> 3, I guess 2 is already taken, probably, is, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing. You know, I, I definitely would love to tackle something uh, on a larger scale. I mean, if only um, to have a like an avenue to a bigger audience, because it's so hard with independent stuff to to get someone to invest the kind of you know money that they invest in getting a film out when it's made with a lot. You know, when it's got a hundred million dollar budget and they kind of have to put a lot of money into putting it out there so they can get that back. And, um, when it's made for a smaller budget, you know, people are like, well, we'll just throw it out in the world and see what happens and maybe it'll catch fire and maybe it won't, but we won't, we won't waste quote unquote waste money on, on a PNA spend. Um, and so that, that's like the frustrating part for me about staying in this independent space. I mean, it's really nice to have so much creative control, but, um, but it would be great to have, um, to be able to make something on a scale that's that's larger and have more resources to play with sure. when, you, when I'm in production and then also just be able to get it out there. Because I think like what people have been able to do recently, Patty Jenkins and, um, and with like Black Panther, like to get to tell a story that, you know, is in the framework of these sort of large um, tentpole franchise movies, but also make the have give them bake in some real meaning and 
food for thought. I think there's a lot of, it's exciting to see people like tackle those films with, uh, and, and just, you know, be thoughtful about it and think about what they're feeding to millions of audience members. So that's exciting to me to think about doing that. Are you working with, I'm just curious, are you working with a, uh, like a, do you have a manager, an agent or something like that at this stage? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. ICM and Untitled. I, I assumed, but I just uh, I, you're doing the kind of work at the level now where that seems like that would be very likely. So, uh, but it seems like you're you're positioned for something bigger, I'd say. You know, and um, let's like, hope. I mean, and, well, I'm, if you look I'm, at I the, I want to make myself make it known that I'm available for those. Well, kind of you know, okay, my audience may just be not the. I don't know if it's the exact uh, platform, but maybe I'm looking at the Oscars. I mean just as a gauge of like there's several films in there I could see that would not be a, such a leap. And yet, so right now what is considered that next big leap in terms of getting out of this little indie bubble, mm-hmm. you know, it, something that could lead you to forming a real production company, something like that, where you'd really be able to make some bigger choices on a consistent basis. I mean, you're, you're looking at films that are made like, uh, that are up for Oscars, like Lady Bird and, uh, Get out. I, I, Tanya, get out. I mean, this is where only it seems like a few years ago where you had to have epics with international stars, uh, all China <laughs> friendly, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Um, whereas all in very quick amount of time, it seems like these are character driven, narrative, dramatic films that are now I understand they're probably still in the minority, but. No, it seems like it's been it was know. out of fashion for a while to make sort of character driven. Yeah. Uh, you know, contained, you know, thoughtful films. And it's been nice to see films like that get rewarded over the last few years. Like, I mean, Moonlight last year was so like gratifying to see that film do so well and thrilled it did. And, you know, that's been happening. feels like it's been happening more and more. And it's always nice to see somebody break out uh, with what would be considered a quote unquote small movie Mm -hmm. um, and take, and then show, you know, be able to prove that there are, there are, it's a ripe audience for these kind of movies that have something to say. Like we kind of grew up on. It's, you know, it's... Uh, yeah. I'm uh, I'm constantly now doing these guests on other podcasts because it's a good way to get the word out about mine. And yeah. I, yeah. and often it's like talking about a filmmaker from the 70s or 80s because they have this big body of work and you can talk about their body of work and you look and I'm watching them all again or for the first time in some cases, these films, and they're all so, you know, even the flops or the flawed films now have such charm and feel like such a, a nutritious experience when you watch them because they're character driven. They don't have to be perfect and, they're, you know, they're not so slick, you know, and yet that's what I like about the character driven uh, like an I, Tanya or like a Get Out, or even, or um, uh, Lady Bird, especially Lady Bird, I'd say, in that group, you know, where it's just, it's a refreshing, it's a refreshing film. Agreed. Yeah, and it's nice. I mean, I, I personally love making movies because I want to dig into people's thought processes that I don't necessarily understand on the surface. It's a lot of the time why I'll choose to do something is because I don't get, I don't understand it. And I want to, get into their brain and figure out why they're deciding to do uh, some certain thing. And I feel like that's, we have such an opportunity with this medium to explore people and understand people better and rise, you know, right. increase our own empathy and increase the empathy of the audience. It, it, it's always seems like a shame to squander it. So it's nice to see other films doing that always. So are you already trying to get 
things fi- financed for a new project or are you just always <laughs> yeah okay it's, it's a silly question but but then and the another ancillary issue which i constantly hear about from filmmakers is of course is that you know you can't invest your time and effort into it because the other part of being an independent filmmaker is that you have to spend a year or two with with a project after it's done yeah. get it out in the world and get it just distributed and you know it's a it's almost a full-time gig for and you're not making something new right like in the meantime so you yeah i mean there's typically a little bit more uh, wiggle room to try to start at least developing new things okay. after something's premiered but it's uh yeah it's it's tough to to juggle all of the things that you need to do to sort of sustain yourself as a filmmaker uh, because you want to have new things always on the back burner, you mm-hmm. know, trying it at various stages of development. And then you're, you know, ideal world, like in the process of doing something at any given point. And then it's kind of, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a balancing act and it's hard to, you know, keep them all at the exact right level of, you know, boiling or whatever to, to, just shift it onto the front burner at the moment that you're done with the previous things. It's it's tricky. Where did you shoot Sadie again? Where was it shot? Primarily in Everett, Washington. Okay. Just north of Seattle. Okay. So no doubt you're going to have a theatrical in in Seattle and, um, and maybe hopefully uh, maybe you'll have a Los Angeles one. It would be nice. Are you uh, closer to figuring out distribution yet or? Yeah. Excuse me. In the process of that, nothing to announce quite yet, but um, but yes, I assume. And I'm gonna. And I think what would be probably the right thing to do is at least to sit on this for, unless you helps in any other way sooner. But I can sit on this particular recording until it's more helpful. Or if you're going to do more, if you say it again, until you the New York premiere. Oh, until the New York premiere. Say it. You mean? Yes. That's what I assumed you meant. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, yes and no, or no. I mean, or just a premiere at all, or uh, you know, I'm willing to wait to if you're if you want a few months or however long. I don't care; it doesn't matter to me. And um, I just want to help you and help the film, you know, in any way possible. I mean, of course, I could put this up, and then we could do a follow up when you're doing press for it again. I, it it's completely, uh, you know, what, what happy to do whatever because it's I I often. Yeah, let me check with Adam and yeah. see if there's the, the other Adam and see no, if there's a, yeah. a a good time, better best time to to release it. But yeah, I'm sure there will be a helpful time, whether it's now or later. Yeah, I, I, so in the meantime, I'm, I'm I'll just keep it backed up on my cloud and. Uh, but Sadie is uh, again starring Melanie Linsky, and the young I don't don't help me Sophia Mitri Schloss. Yeah who plays this uh, Sadie and also has, among other actors, Tony Hale, John Gallagher Jr., and who else is uh, pretty significant, I guess, uh, Danielle Brooks. New Black. What is she? Oh, she's, oh, of course. You know, I just met her. It's so funny because I met her like a couple of months ago. My wife was doing a, a special thing at, uh, what's this, the venue again? I should know. It's up in uh, uh, in New York City. She was doing a special reading with Henry Louis Gates, that he wrote and there were all these women reading the parts of it and both uh danielle and my ex-wife were two of the people involved oh great 
yeah, Danielle is fantastic. I'm sad she could make it to South by Southwest, but she's so, I think she's so great in the film and she's such a, yeah, she's like a warm, wonderful spirit too. Yeah. And uh, charisma to burn. Crazy. Anyway, so I don't know if we, I'll do the synopsis during my introduction. So for people don't have to worry about being so specific, but it's uh, just had its big world premiere at South by Southwest. And do you have any more uh, festivals yet or? I just got announced that we'll be at Bentonville, uh, which is the festival that was co-founded by Gina Davis. uh, It's specifically centered on uh, female female filmmakers. Yeah. Great. So yeah, that's the the only one announced at this point. But I have a feeling we'll do a few more other good film festivals. I don't, it's a perfect hour and a half at any festival. So thank you very much for uh, sitting through this torture again and, Ah, it's really rough, but I, yeah, I made it. No, hang out for a minute. Hang out. I'm going to, but I'm just ending the podcast. So, okay. okay. All right. So we'll talk soon. Okay. Hi. Hello. The neighbors getting neighborly. These horrors that you're writing about, they got extreme consequences. She's a teenager. She's allowed to be a little bit ornery. Do you want to tell me what's going on here, Sammy? We're kids, Francis. Nobody cares what we do. Thank you for tuning in. Again, please do reach out if you're having any uh, odd experiences with the podcast. I'd just like to know. All right. Uh, I'm going to keep this very, very brief. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time, this is your host, Adam Sharpdog, Foam Wax Radio. Take care. Broken lines, broken strings, broken 